Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dots. Good to have your company again. We are the dogs, the defenders of government schools. We are here on 3CR because we've got to be, because government schools are under attack from various angles, from various sides, from various peoples, from various lobby groups, from various organisations. Um, they have been now for decades and decades, and that's why we need to be here, to defend them. Government schools are the only schools in Australia that... Um, Literally enrol if anyone who turns up at the door. If you live in the local area, you turn up. They don't go, excuse me, what religion are you? No, you can't come in. They don't go, excuse me, what ethnicity are you? No, you can't come in. Excuse me, what is the sexuality of your aunt? Mm, no, you can't come in. Um, they don't ask questions like that because they're government schools and it's against the law. Um, private, private schools in Australia, however, um, can and do. Most private schools in Australia are run by religious organisations of one form or another. And before you get into their schools, you have to answer all those questions. Um, what religion are you? What religion are your parents? What religion are you? What sexuality are you? What kind of this and what kind of that? Oh, well, then you can or you can't come into our school. Um, now, quite frankly, from our point of view at the dogs, those are actually reasonable questions. If you walk into someone's church or you walk into someone's mosque, questions about religion, when you walk into a religious institution, our main and extended problem is that private schools are funded by me. And because I'm paying for them, I don't like people who ask those sorts of questions. And they spent 26 days in 1979 trying to prove that they were not religious institutions. Very strange. Um, And this is true for the vast majority of all private schools in Australia. So that's why we're here. The reason I'm picking on this particular aspect is that there is now an interesting debate taking place about what they call the Religious Discrimination Freedom Bill Rights something. I don't... even even what they call it is kind of like like Orwellian doublespeak. It's just strange. They're trying to protect religious freedoms in the marketplace. Uh, the marketplace is where people do business. Um, and schools, of course, are one of those things that are considered a business. Um, and so they're trying to protect their rights within this space. Um, it all started with the Ruddock Report, but it's got really kind of weird. Um, Jean has a very particular perspective, but we're going to be spending some time on this show listening to a couple of individuals at the Press Club debate. Um, the debate will be courtesy of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC. We'll be using some of their audio. But I think what they have to say informs where we are in 2019 in this, in this question of religious organisations taking my money, taxpayers' money, and 
discriminating with it, sort of just standing at the, at the at a school gate saying, no, you can't come in because your aunt is homosexual or something equally mindless and stupid. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm being pejorative there because I, I actually do find that situation at a school gate, talking to a child, mindless and stupid. But um, if you want to hear a more polite take on it, um, I think you, we should listen to what Jean has to say in her press release number 812. Yes, here it is, press release 812 at info. Religious discrimination bill should be a no-go area for the state. A secular state, and there's the question whether we have a secular state, should have no dealings whatever with religion and religious organisations that take the Queen shilling do so at their peril. Our forefathers understood this when section 116 was placed in the Australian Constitution. The real problem for religious people in Australia is that they spent, as I mentioned earlier, 26 days in the High Court in 1979 trying to claim they weren't religious institutions. Now we're told they are and they want to be allowed to discriminate. Now the dog's position on the Coalition's Religious Discrimination Bill is that it should be unnecessary and is in fact a danger to religious liberty. We believe that it's a reverse blasphemy law uh, and uh, we just don't think that it should be, that the state should be in the area of religion at all. Back in the day, dogs uh, were against any kind of discrimination bill uh, or act, but we've got them. We've got them at the state level and now we've got them at the uh, federal level. The basic human right of conscience or religious liberty is, or we should say was, covered in section 116 of the Australian Constitution until this was read down and out by the Australian High Court in the Dogs case in 1981. And you can find out all about that on our website. But during the last week, opposition to the Federal Government's anti-discrimination bill has increased. Now we dealt with this last week, we told you how uh, the Anglican and the Catholic churches and others didn't think that it went far enough, but now this week at the National Press Club debate on Wednesday the 9th of October, which we will uh, have a a portion we'll listen to shortly um, you'll find that uh, there's disagreement still. The Australian Christian Lobby Managing Director Martin Niles, a member of the legal firm specialising in religious cases, has said that Religious Freedom listed a number of cases in which the Christian employees have been discriminated against. Uh, He said, I see a rising trend of intolerance and I see this, that's the bill, as genuinely helpful. Now Fiona Patton, you'll hear her in a moment, said that the bill does not foster mutual tolerance and respect quite the reverse and she noted that no that no non-religious group was consulted in drawing up this bill and in fact uh, they're hardly um, well they're certainly not happy with it she argued that the bill can override existing state and federal laws and does not protect those of non-belief and some she says are more equal than others she argued that access to health care should never be trumped by religious beliefs but there's also concern that the bill could provide protection to religious expression at the expense of other rights. Now, Martin Isles argued that institutions which had a religious purpose should automatically 
have the right to discriminate against employees on the basis of religious belief. Uh, so he thinks that schools can get rid of um, people that, that are against in any way their religious belief. That's fine, but as the dogs say, these institutions argued for 26 days in the court that they were not religious institutions and they were no more religious than state schools that don't discriminate in, in this way. He was also concerned, and I think this is interesting, that there's no definition of intent in the question of vilification and so on. Fiona Patton, you'll find, argued that Section 41 allows people the right to be a bigot and to sack people on the basis of religious belief. It's Section 41 that's a sticking point for a lot of people and it also overrides all state legislation. Neither Martin Isles or Fiona Patton indicated any deep understanding of either religious or Australian history, and I personally found this very sad indeed. Fiona Patton, for example, was uh, not really uh, up to date on what happened in the dog's case and seems to think that Section 116 uh, just has a non-preferential meaning. But they aren't the only ones that are concerned Industry has come out in the last week and says that this bill is going to exacerbate problems in the workplace. The nation's peak industry bodies are sounding the alarm over the federal government's proposed religious discrimination bill. And who are they? They are the Australian Industry Group and the Chamber of Commerce. And they've made, made submissions opposing the idea. They argue that the definition of religious belief or activity is too broad. These groups say that the proposed changes may increase conflict in the workplace and they express concern about regulatory burdens if the laws are passed. Innes Willox, who's the head of the Australian Industry Group, has said that the bill is unreasonable and unworkable because it would reduce employers' ability to manage inappropriate conduct or impose inclusion policies and may advance and protect extremist opinions or behaviour. The statement by AIG and the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry increased pressure on the Attorney-General Christian Porter to amend the draft laws that are in direct conflict with requested changes from the Catholic Church and the other faith organisations. So nobody wants this bill in its current form. They're, and they're all at odds. The proposed law makes it discriminatory for a business with revenue above 50 million to create an employment requirement that would limit an employee's ability to express their religious views unless the employer can show the condition is necessary to prevent unjustifiable financial hardship to their business. So nobody's happy, so why have it? Why have it at all? Why can't we in Australia learn to live together? And of course, the majority of us do, because the majority of us have in fact had a good state public school education and learned to live together. Now, why are the dogs talking about this? Why is this such an important issue? It's important for employees in the education sector throughout Australia 
More than one-third of Australian children are in religious schools. Catholic, Evangelical, Christian, Coptic, etc., etc., you name it. They've got a school, and it's being funded by us, as well as the Sunni and the Shia Muslim. They don't get on either. And these schools are subsidised very heavily from the public purse. In some cases, they get more public money than the local state school. The bill will give the administrators of these schools the right to sack any employee on the basis of any statements they make or acts they choose to engage in inside or outside the institution's boundaries, publicly or privately, that are considered contrary to the religious purposes of the institution. Think about it. Just think about it. Think about it for teachers and cleaners and administrators in a third of Australia's schools. More, actually. Because the employees in these schools are also citizens of Australia. They pay taxes too. What kind of freedom, religious or otherwise, is being offered citizens of Australia in this bill? The state should stay out of religious matters. It should be separate. Dogs suggest we look back at section 116 and the lessons of history because we are walking right back into reverse blasphemy laws and religious conflict. So that is our view, but now let's go across to the ABC to see what Martin Isles has to say, and he has a lot of evidence that there is um, trouble for Christians in Australian society at the moment. And um, we'll also hear from Fiona Patton who has the temerity to stand up uh, for those of non-belief. But before we listen to them, we'll have a short break.
Beata's Fear, composed by Mr. Zelenka down there in Bohemia about 400 years ago. Thanks very much. Yeah, that was performed by Scholar Cantorum of Melbourne in 2000, recorded in Heidelberg, believe it or not. Um, we're now going to go straight to the National Press Club. Um, actually, it's not live, it's a recording. Uh, it was a debate that took place last, last week uh, between um, the Australian Christian Lobby and Australian Secular Lobby, talking about religious freedom. We have something special for you today, a debate about religious freedom or the, di- the government's uh, Religious Discrimination Act, which it hopes to pass Parliament by the end of this year. To discuss that, we're joined by Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, and Fiona Patton, the Victorian MP, but also an ambassador with the National Secular Lobby. Seedings is Martin Isles. Thank you. I'm here to speak in favour of the concept of religious freedom because it is something that is intrinsically human. Humans wonder, they ponder the meaning of life, they ask ultimate questions, and they live in the light of them. That's the human story. It's been happening for millennia, it's happening today. And religious freedom is the protection of that human aspiration to understand and to live accordingly. There's nothing more human than that. And in that freedom, actually, is true diversity, because that freedom accommodates actual difference. People who actually disagree, who actually have different views on ultimate purpose and meaning, who actually do live differently to each other. Our own High Court has said freedom of religion, the paradigm freedom of conscience, is the essence of a free society. And there's something in that, because there's countless societies around our world and in history that have had limited religious freedom, and none of them have been good places to live. So religious freedom is good. It's the hallmark of a free society, it's the hallmark of diversity, it's the hallmark of human rights. And I'm grateful to live in Australia where freedom of religion has long been a key principle of our democracy. But my support for the particular aims of this bill, the Religious Discrimination Bill 2019, is grounded in a more practical concern. In 2016, myself and some others started a law firm, or it is now a law firm, the Human Rights Law Alliance, designed to give legal support to those who need it for living out their faith. And I remember saying to a colleague at the time that actually it's the first business model I've had anything to do with that entails failure being success because we don't want that to be a need. Unfortunately, that firm has gone from strength to strength and has had dozens and dozens of cases. I'll give you a couple of examples today. There is, for example, Anthony, a university student who had peers that shared things with him from time to time because he's a personable guy. And one of the things he used to do with their permission was pray for them. Anthony had a complaint against him from a young lady who he prayed for with her permission because she was struggling with depression. The university, as a result of talking to Anthony, uh, ended up suspending him for a period of six months pending review, ended up uh, saying that he would have to be involved in fortnightly counselling classes to learn how to interact with his peers, ended up saying that uh, uh, he would uh, not be able to speak about his religion openly on campus and he had discipline recorded on his academic record. I didn't believe that either when I heard about it, but it was true when we investigated. Or Melissa, a medical doctor with 40 years of experience. She's a leader in her field, which covers gender and sexuality issues. She's a Christian. She was asked to speak in some Christian schools about these concerns. She gave those talks, which were rigorously academic, but which were also Christian in worldview. Somebody saw those talks, stalked her for a while, assaulted her in her local shops, but also reported her to a university where she had an academic status and a professional body with which she had an accreditation. She lost that accreditation. The university, with substantial legal support for her, preserved her academic status, but not without a stern warning. 
Well, Chris and Mary are foster parents. They apply to be respite carers for foster children under the age of six. Now, they went through the foster agency's uh, selection programs and they passed with flying colours and the relationship was great. They fully expected to be enrolled in that program until they had to do one more workshop, which was about sexual orientation, gender identity issues. As Christians, they filled out that workshop as best they could and there was nothing particularly controversial about it as Christian people. Uh, but of course they said, well, this workshop was completely irrelevant, and it was in its terms, to children under the age of six. However, they received a decision notice off the back of that that they had failed the criteria of creating a safe home environment for children and they would decline the right to be foster parents. Another is Andrew, who is a professional who relies on accreditation for his livelihood and career. He's a political conservative and a Christian. And a relevant qualifying body started an investigation against Andrew without him ever knowing about it. It went on for a period of months and he didn't find out until they wrote to him to say that his professional accreditation had been cancelled and that he would have just a mere matter of days to make an answer to a tribunal to try and defend it. He failed. His livelihood is now at threat. These are not the most grievous examples. These are relatively normal examples. These are examples that this bill could help to protect. And I remember saying when we were embroiled in the Israel Folau issue, it's great that we've got someone who's famous who is suffering in this way, but actually what Israel Folau did was high-level conduct compared to what most of our clients usually do. It's usually far less controversial than that. And protecting religious freedom is a good thing because it sends a message to every bureaucrat, to every politician who has accrued a little bit of power to themselves, that they cannot simply finish people. They can't ruin their careers and do harm to them simply because they don't like what they have said. And we speak consistently with people who work in government departments, people who work in institutions, people who work under the supervision of qualifying bodies, and they say they're concerned about their future because their beliefs are not welcome in the workplace and their concerns are usually substantive in nature. They have some reason for feeling that way. It's not just imagined. That sense is rising, not shrinking. And of course, I personally have an interest in this bill because I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, sin, salvation, judgment, eternal hope, evangelism, and all the pillars of my conviction, and I seek to live consistent with them. I am one of those people I described at the start who wonders, thinks, and lives. These are my life. They always will be. And I don't think that anybody should ever be discriminated against for that simple fact. Thank you. You're listening to the Dodge Program on 3CR, 855 on AM Dial, and podcast on the WWWs. We're listening here to a debate between Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby and Fiona Patton from the Australian Secular Lobby at the National Press Club, which took place last week. We'll continue on now with what Fiona Patton has to say. Uh, thank you. As many of you know, before I became a politician, I spent decades fighting against censorship of adult media. Censorship that was vehemently supported by the Australian Christian Lobby. So I'm always a little bit sceptical when they present themselves as defenders of free speech, as they're trying to do with the Religious Discrimination Bill. But having said that, I agree. We should protect against discrimination on the basis of religious belief. Freedom of and freedom from religion are the cornerstones of a society that celebrates diversity and advocates for tolerance and mutual respect. I believe in religious freedom and free speech. Both are crucial to a free society. 
However, the Religious Discrimination Bill does not foster tolerance. It doesn't foster mutual respect. In fact, it does the opposite. It positively allows for people to publicly and loudly express opinions that are cruel, intolerant and disrespectful. And to be frank, after reading the bill, as well as numerous submissions, expert assessments and statements made by many religious organisations who were part of the drafting process, and I have to say there was no secular organisations that were invited to be part of that process, including the National Secular uh, Lobby. But after all of that, I'm confident that the motivation for this bill was never about protection from discrimination, but rather the enabling of discrimination. Remarkably, this bill establishes a right to override all state and territory anti-discrimination laws. It even overrides existing federal laws, including the Race Discrimination and Sex Discrimination Acts. So how could this possibly be considered a protection from discrimination bill when it overrides all protections that currently exist? Martin has said that the bill gives and the bill takes away. He believes that it does not give religious people enough freedom. Well, even Philip Ruddock's review found that there was no systemic religious discrimination in Australia, and in fact, that religious freedom in Australia is actually pretty healthy. Religious organisations have so much freedom, including the freedom not to pay tax, and not because they're doing something charitable, but for the simple reason that they are promoting religion. I'm talking about commercial businesses like Catholic Insurance and Sanitarium. Now, Section 41, which has been described as the revenge of the Marriage Equality Act, expressly overrides the ant every anti-discrimination statute in the country and officially establishes the right to be a bigot. That's right. All laws that make it unlawful to discriminate on the grounds of religion will be overridden. The practical effect of this will be to give people a positive right to make a statement of belief that may insult, offend, intimidate, ridicule or humiliate anyone on any ground. The only caveat is that the discriminatory statement must reasonably be regarded as being in accordance with their religious beliefs. But perversely and probably unconstitutionally, the bill does not grant the right to be vile equally. For non-religious people, the bill only protects statements that may, that may arise directly from their lack of religious beliefs. In a nutshell, an atheist can only make discriminatory statements that are related to religion. So the only insulting remarks that a non-religious person can make is to and about people with religious beliefs. For religious people, statements of belief on any topic are protected under the law. It allows for people on the grounds of their beliefs to insult, offend, ridicule or humiliate anyone widely and publicly and even in the workplace. As Napoleon the pig said in Animal Farm, some are more equal than others. Section 41 also covertly overrides our occupational health and safety laws to permit, for example, a male, Mormon, Muslim or Catholic employer to tell a female worker that women should not be in a position of leadership over men. The bill also has the practical effect of giving health practitioners a right to refuse health services if the refusal is motivated by their religious belief. Consider a midwife refusing to deliver a single mother's baby, a rural pharmacist 
refusing to fill a teenage girl's prescription for the pill, or a Christian nurse simply refusing to treat a Muslim. Bizarrely, the bill does not offer non-religious health practitioners the same right to refuse treatment, even though they may hold the same beliefs. I think I'm in the majority in saying that access to good health care should never be trumped by religious beliefs. The bill is so broad that it extends to overriding any existing or future law that stands in the way of allowing people to make these statements of belief and refuse services because of them. So, for example, there's some safe access legislation around the country that protects, um, protects women going to abortion clinics from being harassed, intimidated or um, humiliated. It's not out of the question that those laws would be overridden under this bill. Nor is it out of the question that laws that prevent workplace bullying may be also be overridden. As Martin once said himself, albeit about voluntary assisted dying, Australia must not become the kind of society where some lives are considered worthier of life than others. Why indeed then, Martin, would you have that religious views should be more worthy than secular bill views? The bill places the right of religious beliefs at the top of a hierarchy of human rights. The bill enshrines religious belief and sets religious faith on a pedestal that it demonstrably does not deserve. Thank you very much, Fiona. <laughs> Questions from the floor in a moment, but Martin, first a question to you. What do you feel um, that you can't say now that you want legal protection for? Well, the answer can be seen in all of the cases that we've dealt with. Um, you have a lot of people who are seeking legal protection uh, for whether it be the presence of Christian materials on their desk, whether it be uh, praying for somebody, as the first case that I described. Um, there are certainly hot-button issues. Uh, there are those matters of deep disagreement. So where you get people who are effectively talking about um, their views on things like marriage, gender and sexuality, which, by the way, is not a fringe or a crank view. Um, those are views held by about 5 million Australians, based on the poll. Uh, all of those people, which is the public, uh, are facing difficulty in that area. So those are hot-button views that tend to attract uh, concern. Also, life is a hot-button issue that tends to, uh, uh, tends to attract concern. Um, but also, sometimes it is just plain old religion. There are people out there who we know of right now who are told they cannot at all express any of their religious beliefs in the workplace, full stop. Um, there is an anti-religious element here, and that's why this is a helpful bill. Um, and I would say this, Fiona's premise isn't right, because she has an uh, elimination of vilification bill before the Victorian Parliament right now, which sets a less restrictive standard than this bill. It says comments that are likely to vilify uh, are not allowed. This bill says the same thing. Comments that are likely to vilify are not allowed, or likely to harass, lower standard or malicious, lower standard, and not made in good faith, lower standard. And so this bill permits less in terms of speech and has more controls on it in terms of speech than Fiona's own standard. Uh, and so it isn't a licence for bigotry. Uh, that simply betrays the fact that we are now calling bigotry anything we don't like. And in this case, it's religion. This is not bigotry. This is a very confined and narrow exemption on what you can and cannot say. Fiona, would you like a chance to rebut yes, that? Yes, th thank you, Starber, and, and thank you. Um, I, th I think let's just be clear. Vilification laws and discrimination laws are entirely separate. Vilification is around inciting an action, inciting an action against, uh, to, to violence, inciting an action. So 
we have vilification legislation in every state in Australia. This legislation overrides the anti-discrimination legislation. So that is what it gives right to people who hold religious beliefs to insult, offend, humiliate, ridicule and intimidate. Those are the, those is what is already protected in our existing state anti-discrimination laws that this legislation will override and enable people to make, as I say, really cruel statements and just on malicious, you've got, if you've got a religious belief, then it can't be malicious. First question. One minute reply. Yep. I just want to say very quickly, um, this bill would not override the elimination of vilification bill, Victoria. Um, it just wouldn't, because the standard is, is, is less restrictive. So... Don't Commonwealth bills override state if there's a conflict? Well, they do, but what I'm saying is that the stand, there's no conflict, because the standard that is set by the Victorian legislation is in fact a standard that is, more that is uh, less restrictive than the Religious Discrimination Bill. And so what that means is there is nothing that would be licensed under the Religious Discrimination Bill that is not licensed under the Elimination of Vilification Bill. So there would never be any conflict. So you would actually use the Vilification Bill, it would, it would restrict less. <laughs> Sorry, just to, just to clarify, I have, I have put up a private member's bill that seeks to bring the Victorian legislation into line with, the, with all other vilification legislation around Australia, New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania, etc. Um, however, that is a private member's bill. The existing Racial and Religious Tolerance Act in Victoria could, sets up vilification and it could very well um, be overridden by this federal bill. You're listening to 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. This is the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. We've been listening to a debate at the National Press Club between Martin Niles and the Australian Christian Lobby and Fiona Patton from the Australian Secular Lobby. And they've put their points of view, which I think Jane's going to have something to say about. But before we get to that, um, some questions from the floor. The Guardian journalist has something to put to both of them. All right, we're going to move on. Paul Carp. Paul Karp from Guardian Australia. Uh, could I please ask uh, first to Martin, Christian groups have criticised the bill, including the Catholic Church, who wants more hiring and firing powers, and the Sydney Anglican Church, which has gone a step further and said it can't support it in its current form because it would allow Satanists to hire their campsites, among many other objections. You said you support the aims of the bill, um, but can I ask, is it acceptable in its current form, or do you share those concerns? And to Fiona, uh, Christian Porter is looking for an acceptable middle ground uh, out of a lot of stakeholders uh, with problems with the bill. Is that middle ground possible if the override of discrimination law and the um, conscientious, uh, conscientious objection to medical procedures is left in? Um, so, uh, to going to, where, to what extent I support the bill in its current form, um, most of the amendments that I'd like made to the bill are simply to simplify it. Uh, so, for example, you have some places where there's ten legal tests instead of one, or four is probably more accurate than one. Uh, one is the one I just mentioned before. So you say, well, it can't be speech that's likely to vilify, it can't be speech that's likely to harass, it can't be speech that's malicious, it can't be speech that's not in good faith. And you sit there and you go, well, why don't you just get one test that, that settles that? A judge is going to spend 50 pages writing up his opinion, trying to meander his way through those. It needs clarifying. Another one is, uh, you know, um, if they make, uh, if someone can uh, make uh, a reasonable, if, if, if a religious belief is, 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 uh, is reasonable and it's reasonably in accordance with the doctrine's tenets, 
represents beliefs of a particular, represents made in good faith. And again, you get this multi-layered. You notice some of those sections are really long. Um, and I'm just like, look, why don't they just say a belief that's consistent with your religion and, 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 and cut out all of that meandering, the word salad, effectively, uh, that they've put in there. So that's my main uh, concern. Um, I would say um, uh, on the... I don't know anything about the Anglican point that you raised, and I'm just racking my brains for what, what that would be referring to. But uh, on the Catholic point, which is that they do want to be able to ensure the integrity of their institutions... Um, uh, this is uh, the rights that religious groups have, uh, although they're not particularly clearly articulated and therefore they want them more clearly articulated, in relation to saying, uh, look, we want to ensure that we can uphold the religious integrity of our institution, is not unusual, it's not special privilege. It's the same right that anybody has if they have a religious or a political purpose because their purpose for existing is to make religious differences and is to make political differences. So it therefore is nonsensical to say that they can't discriminate on those grounds. Of course they can. That's why they are there. And the same assumption doesn't apply in the community at large. And I'll say this. Um, political parties enjoy exactly the same right. There, are, there is actually an exemption in the Victorian Equal Opportunity Act that allows Fiona Patton's political party, the Reason Party, and all political parties to ensure the ideological integrity of their party by employing people who share their beliefs. Fiona? Um, I believe that the, that the bill... Uh, in answering to your question... David, rather than responding to, yes, to this right. one. Yes, yes. I, I think there are some possible yes. solutions. And as, and as I had said at the start, I, I support um, anti-discrimination legislation that protects people's religious beliefs or lack thereof. And so I would say that some of the solutions would be to amend the bill so that it doesn't override existing anti-discrimination legislation in all states. Uh, I certainly think Section 41 should be deleted. Uh, that gives this sort of un, un, you know, unfair and um, unfair right of religious people to, to, uh, to offend people uh, where it doesn't give the same right to non-religious people. And we could also bring the, um, and I think this may help with Martin's statements as well, bring definitions of religious belief into line with existing federal anti-discrimination laws. So this bill actually goes, moves away from that. I would say also in looking at the workplace and in looking at the, the concerns about employers being able to direct what an employee says outside the workplace, uh, why don't we have an inquiry into this? Why don't we look at this? And I think this would be something that we could have an inquiry into and see how it might fit into the Fair Work Act and that it would cover all employees, not just employees with a religious belief. Can I direct a question to both of you? There are people who are concerned, people who work in Christian organisations who feel that if this bill passed, um, they're gay, that it would give their employers easy licence to dismiss them. Can you both address that point? They're right. It could. It absolutely could. And also, when you look at what Section 41 does, which Section 41, which says that if you make a statement of religious belief that you reasonably is in line with your tenets and doctrines and is you know, reasonably engaged with your religion, then you can make that statement that could be just absolutely discriminatory. If that person was to challenge that under state anti-discrimination law, that statement could not be included in that case. 
so that person would be discriminated against and actually could lose their job for it and would find it very difficult to run an anti-discrimination case in a state in a state jurisdiction and in actual fact would have to run it in the federal jurisdiction and then you come back to section 41 um, it overriding uh, all other anti-discrimination legislation so yes we are completely we are left with the ability for people um, who are gay and lesbian to be not only harassed at work but actually sacked from work uh, they will also you know we will see this type of I think really vile and cruel behavior possibly become commonplace because it is allowed and that this legislation basically says that Australians should have the right to be bigots. Now that's not the Australia that I actually want to live in. I actually want to live in an, in a, in an Australia that is respectful of other people, that recognise the diversity in our, in our society. That whether that's different religions, whether that's sexuality, whether that's gender, whether that's marital status, whatever. Um, but this bill does is so broad that even a person with disability could be affected by this because, as I say, it overrides all state discrimination legislation. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Well, there you have the debate and some very interesting um, questions indeed. And listeners, I, I hope that what you have just heard will convince you that the state should not be involved in any way with religion and that there is a problem when religion is brought into the workplace. Mm -hmm. That uh, when you have, in fact, schools which can discriminate against workers on the basis of religion, you have a problem in, in the society as a whole. And um, we have, in fact undermined the religious freedom which we inherited with the Constitution and Section 116 because unfortunately back in 1981 the religious men wanted money and power more than they wanted uh, the freedom to have their religious beliefs which are essentially private. Nobody but absolutely nobody in the world can 
come between you and your God. That is a private matter. But as soon as it comes into the public arena and you have powerful institutions like the Catholic Church or even the Anglican Church trying to tell the rest of the community how to live their lives, you have a problem. And when they use the power of the state and the money of the state to, in fact, discriminate against people, you have an even worse problem, and it does them no credit, and they, they in fact, um, cause a great deal of trouble. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Jane. I think I'm, I'm going to use a different word um, to, than discriminate, because I'm sort of, it doesn't really apply in this case. I think the word enforce... I think of the word enforce. This is a bill that will allow religious people to enforce their religious views on others. And when I say enforce, that means it goes to some secular authority to see out the will of the religious people who have made their judgments, their religious judgments. In the same way as if I get um, a fine for going on a private toll road, I get get a letter from the cops. (laughs) Um, I get a letter from the police and can go to jail because I haven't paid the fine on the private toll. And this is why the um, dogs are against state aid. Oh, no, of course. the I, state enforces us to give our taxes to beliefs that we do not believe in. I think that's something that both Fiona um, and the fellow from the Australian Christian Lobby, whose name, thankfully, I've already forgotten. Oh, it doesn't matter. Martin Niles, that was it. Well, someone reminded me. Damn. <laughs> um, is that this leads to a situation where you have a deeply per- person of deep religious conviction working in a deeply religious organisation, but their deeply religious convictions differ on some part of theology. And so, therefore, the person with their deeply religious conviction is sacked because of their deeply religious conviction by the deeply religious organisation. And in that situation, someone in a secular role, someone who's a workplace official or a magistrate or, a, or some kind of convener in terms of the work choice legislation, has to sit there and make a decision about whose God is right between the employer and the employee. That's what this legislation fundamentally sits, and that's why the dogs don't support it at all. And it's the it first, shouldn't be there. It's the first step back in history to a time when, in fact, because of differences in theology, people not only got sacked, they got burnt at the stake. Mm. And the people who were burnt under the stake were, in fact, the homosexuals. This, uh, this has been forgotten. There is a great forgetting in our history, and it was very sad in this debate that neither Martin Isles or Fiona Patton had a handle not only on that history but even the history of sectarianism in Australia. I think we in, don't want to go back I think there. in the context of Australia, Martin Isles is saying, look, you might be able to get married. I can't stop you doing that, but that doesn't mean I can, I, I'm going to give you a job. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It doesn't mean that you're going to survive and thrive in any world that I'm part of because of my sincere um, religious beliefs. Oh, let's go somewhere else. Let's talk about a great state school. Yeah. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. (laughs) 
Our great state school of the week is a little little tiny town that no one really cares about called Canberra. No, I'm, I'm, no Canberra's lovely. Being read about Canberra's a national sport, isn't it? Uh, in Canberra, there's a little school which puts lies to the point that I'm not sending my kid to a state school because they're all the same. It's all cookie-cutter education. That's, that's bad. I My individual child-gifted thing, no, private. You know, parents and many people view state schools as generic there is not a single state school in this country that is in your and this is what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about a little place called Tilopia Park, or Tilopia as they call it locally. Tilopia, it's in Barton, a little suburb named after one of our early Prime Ministers, who was famous, by the way, for falling asleep during meetings. Ah, oh, those were the days. Um, anyway, Tilopia Park School, it is, it's an off-the-wall place. In fact, it's the oldest school. Firstly, it's the oldest school in the ACT, set up in 1923. It is, in fact, the Tilopia Park School, but it's also the Lycée Franco-Australien de Cambrai is a unique by national ed kindergarten to year 10 school, co-educational government school, and it's located in Canberra, and it, all curriculum is taught in both French and English. Since 1983, schools operate under the terms of an agreement between the governments of Australia and the République la France, and concerning the establishment of a French-Australian school in Canberra. And it's part of our now treaty obligations, which I think is a wonderful thing. It's a state school. It's just a state school, but it's in a, it's in a, it's in a national treaty between the French government and the Australian... This is, this, is, this is amazing. The objectives of the school are to provide bilingual education in English and French languages from kindergarten to year 12, in, with a provision for bilingual students to be able to complete the French baccalaureate um, at the local college down the road, the local, oh yeah, the state school down the road in year 11 and 12. It promotes positive, progressive bilingualism as part of its program from kindergarten to year 10th and it has enhanced access for students to qualify for bilingual education and if you live around the corner, you get to go there. Like it's a local school too. Isn't this amazing? Now look, all the secondary school students undertake the middle years program for the International Baccalaureate. This is the local state school in Canberra. Lopia Park School has been a lead school for the implementation of the Australian curriculum. So it's been one of those test schools in terms of changes to the Australian curriculum as well. It's been an amazing place. So what's the school all about? It's about cooperation. It's about honesty. It's about respect. And it's about fairness. It's a state school. <laughs> School aims to provide an education for all students. They don't give a damn how much money your parents earn. And it's actually developing inquiring, knowledgeable and caring young people who can help create, I don't know, a better world. Why not? It's a state school. Now, what it, firstly, I mean, who's turning up? Well, it's Canberra. Canberra has the richest population of any city in, or city, city or town in, in Australia. 57%, however, of the kids who go there... Um, come from a language background other than English. So that's some French kids, I'm sure, but not just French children. This, this, is, this is sort of a very, very multicultural situation. The ICSI value is quite high. It's over 1,100, but that's a sort of a camper thing. And there's just about as many girls as boys. So it hasn't been sort of taken over by one or the other, which I just find. How much is this? Oh, this is this much. It costs millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. No, it costs about $14,000 a year per kid. You know, $14,000 per kid. That's not much. It's a bargain. Bilingual international baccal- baccalaureate, off they go, République les Français. 
Yeah, they probably, they probably could. Just, I don't know if they sing the Marseillaise in the morning. <laughs> that would be funny if they did, because it's a better tune than um, better tune than God Save the Queen. Much better tune than Advance Australia. Sorry, I'm I'm a music snob. Um, look, this place is actually quite interesting. What are the NAPLAN results? Now, the NAPLAN results I find are interesting. Because there's so many rich kids going there, the NAPLAN results compared to similar schools are actually quite poor. That's because lots and lots of people go there who can't speak English. Because it's Canberra. All the diplomats' kids, I happen to know this, all the diplomat families' children go there. So that doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means that they can't speak English. So the Chinese embassy, the Nepalese embassy, the Indian embassy, all these, um, all the African embassies, they, they, they send their kids here too. If you go there, you're just in the world. It's probably the one school in Australia where you are actually in the middle of the world. And it's a state school. And if you live around the corner, yes, you get to go there. And they don't care how much money your parents own. Well, how much money your parents have. Compared to all Australian students, however, um, they're just doing fine. Doing, doing very well. But that is our great state school for the week. It's called Tilopia Park. It's in Canberra, and it's pretty special. If you've enjoyed our program here on the Dogs, the Dogs program, um, please feel free to give us a call um, at the station and say, that was rubbish, that was good, on 94198377. And if you have a suggestion for a great state school, please call on that number, area code 03. If you're interested, of course, in what we're talking about, you can go to our website, www.adogs.info. And, of course, the 3CR website has a link as well, 3cr.org.au. But until next week, from Gene, myself and Dale, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find I dreamed 
was I but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.